Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that essentially serves as a self-help resource for people with herpes. We offer donation-based therapy and mental health support resources uh, with licensed clinical professionals, as well as yoga classes and the different various forms of support um, and other HSV-related resources. And of course, you can come here and learn how to communicate around the areas of STIs. Um, If you've been listening for a while, you know that our guests range from people who are living with herpes, people who've dated people living with herpes, as well as sex educators, sexual wellness organizations, uh, healthcare professionals, doctors, as well as nurses. And some of those episodes have been very informative and helpful to people. And that's kind of the direction that we're going to go here today. Um, well, our guest has an experience with gonorrhea. So this will be um, one of the rare episodes in that sense. But also, um, we're going to be talking about at home STI testing kits because you. Um, I don't want to say at-home STI testing kit if that's not what you say. So um, I'll let you introduce yourself by name, and then I want you to just tell us about Shameless Care, and then we'll get into your gonorrhea story. Fair enough. Thank you so much for having me. I, I think that your work is is absolutely incredible. I was blown away at your website when I saw it and your and your mission. So my name is Robert Johnson, and I'm the president and founder of a company that's called Shameless Care. And Shameless Care does two things, and, and only two things. One is at-home STI testing, and the other is prescription ED medication. And we cater directly to what people often call call the consensual non-monogamy community. So people who are polyamorous or people who consider themselves to be swingers or really anybody who I think enjoys casual sex or kind of non-traditional nuclear family, you know, type of sex. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, um, you and I connected through, actually it was one of the, um, non-monogamy community event organizers uh, that we're mutually connected to. Um, She reached out to me about looking for particularly someone to teach a class, and that led into discussion about what I do. And she was like, oh, let me introduce you to Robert. And sure enough, we got on the email thread uh, together. And today, of all days, precision timing, by the way, uh, just because the time slot worked out. Uh, my availability became open and I'm so happy that you were available uh, for this conversation as well Um, specifically because I have worked with STI or at home STI testing companies in the past and I remember one offered herpes testing and I told you about this over the phone, but with this herpes test, we know how inaccurate and inconsistent the results can be, false positives, false negatives. But I've had herpes for 10 years. I've been running this podcast. I got this nonprofit. My, I mean, if you Google Courtney Bram, you see herpes, right? You can't Google herpes without seeing me. I am attached to this stuff. I did one of these at-home tests and... <laughs> My herpes test results came back negative. And so I called the people and I was like, hey, hey, this ain't right. This is not right. And so they explained to me how that worked. What they were offering was a urine test that 
would determine if there were antibodies in the urine, which would only be likely if there were an outbreak, which would only be likely to be picked up if there were an outbreak along the urinary tract path as well, which is very, very complicated. But um, I offered that story because I know that to my audience, I know that majority of us do have herpes. Majority of us, when dating, we offer our partners to get tested for herpes as well. And this is something that we come up against a lot of resistance for. Some of us may want to know what type we have as well. So um, in terms of what you all offer, do you are you able to differentiate between types and speak to the accuracy, I guess, of the herpes test if you are able to do so? Absolutely. So as far as I know, there's there's two ways that you can test for herpes. And I think your audience probably mostly knows this, Courtney. But the one is a swab test. So if someone's having an active outbreak, they need to go see an in-person medical provider who will swab the sore, one of the sores, and, and send that off for a DNA analysis. And, and that's a definitive way to tell if someone has type 1 or, or type 2 HSV. The other way is through an antibody test, which is a which is a blood test, and that tells tells the it explains if, if your body has developed antibodies to the virus, and that is the test that the CDC doesn't actually recommend because it does have a higher than usual false positive rate, um, and um, and also they say it doesn't really seem to change people's sexual behavior. I'm sure it does for certain individuals, but I guess on the on the macro level, it doesn't seem to change people's sexual behaviors. Um, but I've never heard of a urine test for that. I'm not I'm not doubting the people that you spoke to, but I'm certainly not certainly not familiar with that. Um, and then do you, to answer your question about can we differentiate, my company unfortunately only offers an antibody test for HSV2, and that is simply because we're doing at-home HSV testing, and that was the only type of test that we were able to get our hands on, unfortunately. I wish we did have one for HSV1 and HSV2, but HSV2 was the only one that we could get a hold of, and there are certain limitations with at-home testing versus when someone goes into a urgent care or something like that for testing. But the antibody tests at the end of the day are a little problematic, but I'm sure that your audience probably is already aware of that. Yeah. And with this antibody test, are you testing the blood? Blood test, yes. All right. Just wanted to confirm because, I yeah, <laughs> the urine test <laughs> definitely uh, threw me off. So um, I stumbled into this space. I got diagnosed with herpes and found out people wanted to kill themselves and decided to try and create something that would hopefully make people not want to kill themselves. And here we are uh, almost six years later, something positive for positive people. And um, this is how I stumbled into this business, <laughs> this field, this community, this organization. Um, what's your connection to uh, Shameless Care? Like, how did that get started? Well, my wife and I are not monogamous, and we started going to swinger clubs, um, gosh, probably 10 years ago here in the Chicago area. And Midwest. here in the Chicago area, yeah, <laughs> here in the Chicago area, anyway, 
um, you know, we were in our early thirties at the time, I guess, I guess late twenties actually. And, and it was, it's kind of scary because you sign up for these places and they don't really give you any information. It's just kind of like, here's an address and it brings $70 worth of cash or something like that. So you're scared to death anyway. And then you show up and everybody else is in their fifties or their sixties or whatever. And then it's terrifying. And, and, but we were enjoying ourselves and just kind of, it's, it's a great, even for monogamous couples, it's, it's a lot of fun because you can just dance and you can, you know, take your top off or do, do whatever you want. Basically, it's a really freeing experience and you're not kind of assaulted by single men the way that you sometimes are in a, in a, in a mainstream dance club or something like that. So it's a lot of fun and we were having a lot of fun, but, but we would see other younger couples come in kind of look around, see no one even close to their age and, and immediately split. And so we started a, a swinger club that's called young couples party. And I don't want to talk too much about it, but that is what leads me to shameless care. So, um, so for the past eight years, we've been running this club for younger couples, again, to, to help get them comfortable with the idea of going to sex clubs, if that is what they, if that is what they want to do. And because of that, I, I thought I was a bit of an expert on STDs. I mean, I do have a public health background. I'm not a doctor, but I do have a public health background. And I was really progressive and pushing testing and things like that. And we had some STD companies that we used as affiliates and all that kind of stuff. And um, I was always talking about testing, testing, testing. And then one day um, somebody texted me and said, hey, I, I think you gave me gonorrhea because I've, I've only been with you and, and now my husband has gonorrhea. And I, I didn't argue with or anything like that, but I had actually been tested a, a quote unquote complete STD panel since I had been with her. And that was completely negative. And including a gonorrhea test. So I, I just couldn't imagine a situation where that could be the case. And she's the one that told me about throat swab testing and asked me if I'd ever been throat swab tested. And I said, well, no, I, I hadn't, as a matter of fact. And, and she educated me on it. And, and then it was, a, it was a hell of a situation where I spent several trips to different doctors just trying to get a throat swab. And I would have doctors say, oh, I've been practicing medicine for, you know, 15 years. I've never even heard of that. And, and people just refusing to do it. I finally found somebody who would do it, and sure enough, I, I was positive. And I, I had a completely asymptomatic oral gonorrhea infection that I had no doubt given to this young woman, and she had in turn given it to her husband. And, and I felt really bad about that. Um, I didn't feel bad about it from a from a moral point of view. I didn't feel like I was a worse person because I had gonorrhea, but I felt bad as a professional in this space who didn't know that, who didn't know about throat swabs. I felt really irresponsible. And, and so that's, that's really what leads me to shameless care is as I spent the next few years really trying to get somebody else to do this, trying to get another online, because a lot of people like the discretion of, of online, particularly people who are living lifestyles where they may be closeted for whatever reason. And most swingers probably are for sure. And I just couldn't get anybody else who would do it. And of course, the reason why is because they can put on their website that they test for gonorrhea and chlamydia, and they do, they do genitally. But if they were to also do that orally, they would have to double their prices. And and that's not something that people are going to want to do. So um, I tried to get other people to do that. Nobody would. And so finally decided that I, I just had to do it myself. And, and here we are.
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story and your personal experience as well. Uh, you bring up another really good point through your story that you had gonorrhea without any symptoms. And this is one of the most common symptoms of an STI is no symptom at all. And the fact that you had to go to so many different healthcare providers and try and get this test and people who've been in medicine for 15 plus years are so far disconnected from the realities of the world today that it's also important that they be re-educated and re-informed and and we also need to understand like as patients as people who are seeking health care we have a little bit of a responsibility to not give all of the authority and power to the healthcare provider. If we know something, if we have information, we could present it and it be shot down by the doctor <clears throat> immediately because of what they learned when they learned it and what they've experienced when they've experienced it. But if we have new information, it's important that we, you know, be able to confidently introduce that information in a way that can be communicated. We can question doctors. And I think a lot of people think that there's this power, this power dynamic, which there is, but uh, they think that we just have to go off of everything that the doctor says is the final word. And that isn't the case. And so that all said, you know, I'm very appreciative of you for taking the step to go, hmm, if this happened to me, how many other people is this happening to? If this is probably happening to other people, you didn't just seek to make yourself feel better going about your business, but you seek to make this entire community, you know, more informed, able to more so enjoy themselves and lean into the experience. Yeah, I, I well, I couldn't agree with you more about about taking some power back and, and bringing it into the doctor's office with you. Uh, At-home STI testing is about the most expensive way someone could be STI tested. If, if you think about it, somebody is sending you blood spot cards and lancets and urine cups and, and, and saliva tips and, and then you got and then postage back to the back to the lab and stuff like that. It's, it's not inexpensive. And um, and so what we tell people on our website is, you know, we have a, a little I call it a widget for lack of a better word on our website where people can put in a little bit of information about their sexual history and the types of people that they play with. Now, some people don't know the sexual histories of the people they play with, but a lot of us can kind of guess and it, and it creates one of 21 different customized STI testing packages for, for you. And, and I, and it says right on our website, if this is too much money for you, screenshot it. And take that into your doctor's office and see what you can get done there or take it into your local STI clinic and see what you can get there if there's an STI clinic that can help you. Because the last thing I want somebody to do is to look at those prices and say, well, to hell with this. I can't <laughs> I can't afford this. Um, so we encourage people to use the power of our company and the power of our website and then take that information right in the doctor's office because we don't accept insurance and a lot of people work awful hard every day in order to have insurance and we want them to be able to use it if they can. And of course, there's always people with, you know, higher incomes or they live in rural South Dakota or something like that. And they just feel like we're their only option and, you know, we're happy to service those customers, but we really want to empower people. Uh, really, our goal is you know, A, to survive as a business, but, but B, that every single person 
at least in the monogamy world in, in the in the in the United States, knows about throat swap testing. That's really our secondary goal. Yeah, and what I'm hearing with this is discretion as well as um, convenience more than anything. Getting the test sent to you, you fill out you know the form, the price is what the price is. We know SCI testing is expensive. We know that herpes tests themselves are very expensive. Um, but one of the common barriers to testing I hear from people is I don't know where to go. It's not really about price because what is the value of knowing your status? You know you. Uh, have to decide what your priorities are. If your priorities are going to be being on top of your STI status, then you can inconvenience yourself. And I use air quotes when I say inconvenience yourself by going into a clinic or making the call, getting the appointment, making sure that you're getting all the tests that you want, having the conversation with your doctor, whatever. Or you can, I often tell people, just Google free STI testing near me. And oftentimes you can find a place that will do some things, but you may want a little bit more than what they have to offer. Uh, There are places that I go who don't test for syphilis, they don't test for herpes, and they don't test for trick the the trick one. I always mess up the way that you say it. But um, also, in addition to uh, the testing, what happens if someone tests positive? If they get a positive result, what happens? If someone tests positive, so every every one of our, um, every time we quote unquote sell an STI testing package, a doctor has to write a requisition for it. And that's just a funny thing about our healthcare system here in the United States. So we have to pay a physician to do that. And then if that person tests positive, the physician reaches out to that individual and um, offers them care, offers them some level of counseling, although we both know that's probably not as much as some people really need. Um, And we can treat people through telemedicine, but what typically what we tell people to do is at that point, let's say somebody does have a chlamydia infection, for example, well, they're kind of on a race against the clock. And I, and I don't mean that, that in just a few days, chlamydia is going to turn into this thing and, and kill them. That's not, that's not true, but they do need to be treated right away because it can get quite uncomfortable. And the sooner they're treated, the sooner they can go back to a, to a normal sex life without the fear of infecting other people. So we can treat people through telemedicine, but that requires us mailing medication to people. And in most cases, they're better off if they go see an in-person physician so they can get treated that day. Okay. That was uh, so basically I take my test. I send it back to you within a few days. I get the results back. And then from there, the results are coming from a state medical professional uh, how do I get my prescription? Is basically I want to like summarize that. How do I get the medication for treatment? Okay, well the the physician is already licensed in your state, so we have physicians in all. I shouldn't say physicians because these are healthcare providers. Some are MDs, some are DOs, some are, some are nurse practitioners, so on and so forth. Uh, so forgive me for saying for saying doctors are not all doctors, but they can all write a prescription anyway. They're all licensed to write a prescription in these individual states. Um, and so let's say someone did have a chlamydia infection, like I said, or a gonorrhea infection, they can prescribe medication to that patient, just like we prescribe erectile dysfunction medication to patients all across the country every day, and then ship it to that patient. But like I said, most people are better off saying, I tested positive, 
The doctor called me. I, I realize what I have now. I'm going to go to urgent care in my neighborhood, or I'm going to go to the medic clinic at Walgreens or whatever it is. Because, for example, the CDC recommended um, uh, cure for gonorrhea is a 500 milligram injection of antibiotics. And that's a pretty painful injection that's a big load of antibiotics and with like a harpoon needle on the end of that syringe so even if we did ship that to somebody it would take a lot of courage to self-administer that i think most people are better off just going and seeing somebody in person yeah okay thank you for clearing that up for me i wanted to make sure that 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 was answered um (laughs) you had mentioned um this being you you said something that made me think about this being a really good idea for just knowing your status like if you have symptoms go to the doctor if you are uh you have a weekend trip coming up uh with partners or if there's a party coming up soon and you just want to have a most recent accurate test and there are no symptoms i think that this is a really good idea to have that you know like we get COVID tests before social gatherings. I think that um, because of COVID, that's kind of shifted us into the normalization of something like this, just being on top of your status ahead of time. So to me, this is a really good idea for preventive measure. Um, You are just wanting to be more up to date on your status leading into a particular event or interaction or um, yeah, something like that. So uh, just do you have any recommendations or is there anything that you suggest for people in terms of frequency of testing or the when they should be tested? Okay, that's a really good question. So most of my experience is with the swinger lifestyle and so I'll, I'll speak to that. So, you know, there are people who are monogamous 51 weeks a year. They might be your your local elementary school teacher and the and the guy who runs the bakery down the street, you know, something like that. Just your normal everyday couple and they're they're monogamous 51 weeks a year and then one week a year they go to Hedonism Resort in Jamaica and boy they let loose and they just have, you know, maybe 15 different sexual partners that week or something like that. And and then they go back to civilian life, as you might call it, right after that. So we have a testing package for those people, which is a pre- and post-vacation testing package. So then they can go on their vacation knowing their status in a much more comprehensive way than they probably would if they went to their local physician. And then when they get back, three weeks after they get back, because it takes about three weeks to test positive for some of these different infections, um, about three weeks after they do that same panel again. That's that's one way that we do it. The way that we do most testing though, and this is something that Shameless does that's unique, nobody else in the world does this as far as I know, is people fill out, a like I said this earlier, people fill out a widget online and they talk a little bit about their their sexual practices. So obviously somebody who has a lot of unprotected anal sex, you know, multiple times per month is on a different risk stratus than somebody who has two sexual partners a year and may only have unprotected oral sex. Like everyone has a different risk profile. And so it it'll recommend a year-long testing protocol. And then it ships them those that entire year's worth of tests all at once. And so some people get two boxes of tests, they'll send those back every six months. Some people get four boxes, they'll send those back every three months. Some people get as many as six, and they send those back every two months. And it's really customized based upon 
individual's risk profile. But the thing that I think is so fascinating about that is testing is something that a lot of people have really good intentions to do, but it's one of those things that can kind of fall by the wayside. And so when you have those tests and and they're sitting right on your desk or they're sitting right on your nightstand or wherever they are in your house and you're getting text reminders and oh, by the way, you've already paid for them. It's just become so easy to do it because as you mentioned earlier, Courtney, so many of these STIs are asymptomatic that if, if recreational sex or sex in general is just part of your lifestyle and part of your being and you want to protect your friends and you want to protect your partners, then staying proactive in that testing is really important. And so I think having a year-long, really thoughtful protocol is much better than just every time you think about it, going and getting a complete panel because you may not think about it as much as you as much as you might think that you do yeah thank you for that detailed explanation um as well and the offering of knowing for the year i understand why you cater to the non-monogamous community i I absolutely do and something that i speak to um in day-to-day interactions with people is that monogamous people can learn things from non-monogamous communities as well. Um, One of the beefs that I have with the CDC, you mentioned earlier that the CDC mentions that uh, even knowing your herpes status, I don't know if we were to speak, yeah, herpes status, I believe, um, doesn't change sexual behavior. Was it herpes status that you were speaking to specifically? They were, they're specifically talking about the antibody test okay. and, I, and I don't know, it's probably footnoted, Courtney, I've not followed. No, the, no, that's, I, I wanted to, trail to see yeah, that is, that's there. I just don't remember where it was, but I know uh, that that was like one of my gripes that I have with the CDC's STD prevention uh, methods is that they said something somewhere on the website that if a person tests positive for herpes, even if they get this positive result, sexual behavior does not change. And that is a lie because the survey of a thousand one hundred something people that I've done has demonstrated a lot of behavior changes across the board between uh, choosing to have sex again, how they have sex again whether or not they disclose to a partner, how they disclose to a partner, uh, and how they overall, like, sex aside, how their behavior is with themselves, which by default changes their sexual behavior. But the reason that I uh, bring that particular thing up is I actually forgot why I brought that up, and I needed to bring it back full circle to cover that particular point of the point that you were making. And, yep, I lost it. So what we're going to do now is just shift over to um, the lessons from the monogamous community. Oh, I remember what I had now. Wow. It took all of that for me to get back to this point. So the CDC's STD prevention efforts really default to um, wear a condom, know what your status is, practice mutual monogamy, and that one for this conversation, I have such a problem with. It's like practice mutual monogamy. Okay, with Bumble, Tinder, Hinge, Field, Hashtag Open, Positive Singles, there are so many dating apps out here. Your next sexual partner, even if you are monogamous, is a thumb swipe away. And I really hate how stereotyping and stigmatizing uh, the CDC is with practice mutual monogamy as a form of STD prevention because it dismisses monogamous people who 
will have sex with a different person between each and every relationship under the guise of monogamy out of, you know, I'm not non-monogamous, you know, I'm monogamous, but I'm having more sex with I'm having sex with more people than a non-monogamous person could. So it just defaults to the stereotype that non-monogamous people are not safe and that it's not possible for, you know, someone to have two partners over the course of a year versus a monogamous person being at greater risks. And I use air quotes when I say risk, having 300 partners over the course of a year and still claim to be monogamous. Right. Labels are really problematic for that reason. But but you're exactly right. And um, like I said earlier, my, my wheelhouse is really in the swinger community and, and, and in polyamory fields. Um, that's really kind of what I know the best. So it's often what I what I speak about. But I can tell you that those people are extremely conscientious about STIs and they're getting tested all the time. They know their status. They have those conversations. And you're exactly right. Somebody who may consider themselves, you know, there's monogamous and then what people call serial monogamy so like oh i dated this person for two weeks and i dated this person for a week and i dated this person well they're they're have like you said they might have a sex with 100 people that year um but they consider themselves to be monogamous so yeah labels are labels are are, are problematic for sure and and at the end of the day they're important they help us they help us identify in certain circles and, and things like that but they can also be really problematic for sure Yeah. And the reason that I brought that up was because I think that what you're offering into the communities that you're offering this to, I don't want people to see, oh, this is for non-monogamous people or this is for swingers uh, or polyamorous people specifically. I want for everyone to understand that this is for us to be on top of our health, our sexual health status. And this is one way that we can go about doing that. And we have this resource. Um, we're going to link this to the Something Positive for Positive People website so that people are able to easily access it and connect with um, the services directly. So uh, last question about this, because I also want to talk about the ED medication, because you brought up some very interesting points with um, ED and not just that it's for old people. Right. So I want to be sure to touch on that. So my last question in relation to the STI testing kit would be um, who or not who. um, What do you is there anything that you don't test for? Let's ask that. There are, and that's true of any STI testing program. So if you go to the World Health Organization, I think they, I don't remember the exact number, but something like 150 different STIs. So you're not going to be tested for all of those, uh, whether you go to your doctor or a a clinic or an STI clinic or anything like that. Um, One of the things I like to talk to people about is, is strep throat isn't considered to be a STI, but I can tell you that on something like a swinger cruise, that is definitely what most people seem to catch. And if you think about it, it's a bacterial infection that people have contracted from being in close quarters of people, potentially from making out, stuff like that, the same way that a lot of STIs spread. And it's cured with a simple antibiotic in the same way that a lot of STIs are as well. So no, we don't test for everything. The main difference between us and every other STI platform is probably the throat swab testing. So it seems to me that every other STI testing, online STI testing company, and I probably haven't seen them all, Courtney, so don't hold me to this, but the ones that I've seen, and I don't want to name anybody, 
they have clearly chosen a target price that they feel like people will pay for STI testing and then and then filled that basket with tests. So they may have said to themselves, well, $169 is the target price. That's what most people pay for an STI panel. So we'll put in HIV and we'll put in hepatitis B and we'll put in a gonorrhea and chlamydia urine test and we'll put in this other thing. But now we've, we've that test now costs as much as we can afford to sell it for, so we're done. We really looked at it as what are the most common STIs, which ones spread the easiest, uh, which ones do people really need to be tested for, and then just let the chips fall where they may in terms of prices. And almost all of us who are selling at-home STI tests are all selling them basically from the same lab, which is molecular laboratories in the state of Washington. And we're all basically paying the same price for those tests. So I can, I could take a look at another um, at-home STI testing website and I can see their price and I know exactly how they came to that price. And like, for example, well, they didn't want to add another viral test because they would have to put in an entirely new blood spot card. You can only put three bloodborne infections on a single blood spot card. And if they added a fourth, I hope this isn't getting too into the weeds, but if they would have added a fourth, that would have increased their cost by about $20 just for the extra blood spot card. And then the cost of that additional assay on top of that. So it's pretty clear to me that the difference is we're trying to run a business, but what we're trying to do is help people and then survive as a business. We didn't start this business to make money. And and that, I think, is the, is the big difference. To get back to your point, Courtney, because I do think it's an important one, you know, why did we choose to focus on people who consider themselves to be non-monogamous? Um, I just felt like those were the people that I was the most drawn to because that's my background that's my experience you know i've been in the playrooms at at, at desire in, in mexico for example I, i've seen how people have sex i've seen that people often don't use condoms and things like that for oral sex and i think that's probably how most people play across the country but that was the group you know that i was most drawn to but at the end of the day stis or stis and anybody who's having sex with other people is basically susceptible to the same things. And one of the things that we did, which I think is an important part for your listeners to know, is that we didn't white label anything. So yes, our website says Shameless Care, and that's where people order their STI testing, and that's where people order their ED meds. But the medication bottles don't say Shameless Care on them. They say our pharmacy partner's name, which is Med Pharmacy in the state of Florida. And the STI tests say Molecular Laboratories on them. And the reason why we did that is... You know, if somebody's, let's say there's a Mr. Jones out there in, in Idaho has our ED medication and his kids see it, well, dad's a 50-year-old man, he has ED medication, no big deal. But if it says shameless care, that kid might Google that and say, oh, dad's a swinger. And we didn't want that to be the case. So we didn't white label anything. Everything just literally says the name of the laboratory and the, and the pharmacy and, and left it at that. So it's very discreet from that point of view. No one has to identify as being polyamorous or a swinger to enjoy our services. Yeah, I love a good origin story and I love how it ties into your personal life. And here's where we are now. You know, you're servicing a community that you're connected to, that you're part of, that you've grown and developed through. And here you are. So uh, thank you for that. Transitioning over to uh, the ED conversation that we were having. I mean, I don't imagine it will be here super long, but uh, I thought it was just really interesting how uh 
we're talking about ED medication in the swinger community and some of the, I guess, like performance anxiety, utilizing ED, ED meds for performance anxiety and not because, you know, you're 50 years old and maybe struggling with getting or maintaining an erection. So can you talk to me about your motivation for that? Absolutely. Um, you know, in the in the non-monogamy field anyway, and again, that's that's what I'm familiar with, there's a lot of pressures. You know, somebody who is polyamorous, for example, may be going and meeting new people all the time and having dates with new people. And I think any of us who have had sex know the pressure of a new partner and kind of how that can feel and how that can affect our bodies. And people who consider themselves to be swingers or I don't know. No one likes labels anymore. It seems like there's a lot of people who do things that, you know, 20 years ago, obviously everyone was said, Oh, you're a swinger. And now people don't want to identify as such, but you know, people who have group sex or swap partners or that sort of thing, you know, it's a lot of pressure to be a, to be a man in that situation. And you're watching your wife or girlfriend be penetrated for the very first time. And meanwhile, you're also with a brand new person. And there, if you're at a club, there may be other people in the room and suddenly you're in a very pressure field filled situation. And that affects people stronger than I think that they, than they realize. And so we have medical providers in all 50 states. Um, people have to fill out a medical form, which talks about the other prescriptions that they're on, their blood pressure, all that kind of health information. And about 15% of men are declined because they're not healthy enough for the medication or they have another medication thrown that is um, could be problematic. But one of the big difference between our providers and others is that our providers realize that anxiety can be a contributor to ED. And we've had patients who have come to us after going to their in-person doctor and saying something like, oh, I don't know, doc, I, I've just been getting really nervous lately. And, and you know, my, I don't know, how, I don't know what our language rating is on this episode, but I'll, I'll just say my penis, my penis isn't, isn't working. And, you know, someone in that situation is just as likely to leave that exam room with an anti-anxiety medication prescription than they are an ED medication prescription. And they went in there for an ED medication prescription. So this is one of those things that um, makes a lot of sense to me and really can improve people's lives. And with the generic medication now, with a medical consultation, valid U.S. prescription and legitimate medication coming from a U.S. pharmacy right to someone's home, I mean, we're talking about two or three dollars a pill now, and, and that is just fantastic. It can help a lot of people. Amen. And speaking of man, since I said amen, um, what you're speaking to here is an element of health, sexual health, men's health um, that I've, I speak to a lot on the podcast. I say sexual health is mental health, and I thought it was interesting that you tied the anxiety meds and the uh, erectile dysfunction meds into one another because that performance anxiety can contribute to performance sexually as well. And uh, there's this just brings up my curiosity, and this isn't something that you and I have to speak about specifically, but I want to say this out loud for accountability purposes to be able to speak to this later about just how things like 
what your condom fit would be or how a condom should fit, how to put a condom on, um, education around ED medication and how your health outside of uh, having sex can be influential in that as well. These are things that we don't have access to or we don't have any sort of incentive to go into as men. And so I, you brought this topic into this space and i think that it's my responsibility to be sure to go further into it so i very much appreciate you for bringing that into this space as well because i would have never made that connection like ed medication is so far removed from the conversation here about stis that i wouldn't have even thought about it until you brought anxiety into the mix sure Something I bet a lot of people in your audience who have sex with men have experienced this, unfortunately. Um, I bet this is going to relate to a lot of your audience. I would bet that many people in your audience have had the experience of a man having performance anxiety, blaming it on the condom. And sometimes the, the act of putting on a condom and things like that is it is such a you're in this very primal sexual, you know, penetrate, or, or you know, that, that's where your brain is, and then suddenly you have to unwrap this thing and put it on, and, and that that can certainly interrupt the flow that that leads to an erection, no doubt about it. But but I bet a lot of your audience have experienced this thing where a man is struggling with an erection and the condom, and then next thing you know, he's begging to just have sex without the condom, and uh, all the more reason why men, I think, should. Um, not be so uptight about the conversation about ED medications because they can really help in those in those situations for sure. Wow. Uh, you're blowing my mind because I had this conversation with someone before about uh, like condom fits contributing to new STI cases as well. And this reminds me of a situation I was in personally um, where I was with a partner and me stopping to put a condom on like turned her off. So it wasn't the other way around. Like usually it's me. I don't want to wear this condom. Like I have a mantra. I love condoms. I love condoms. I love condoms. And so um, I'm going to put the condom on and she's like, oh, I got really bummed that you started putting that on. And I'm like, uh, all right, you might be turned off by me putting the condom on, but I'm a little bit, you know, suspicious now of, you know, do you tell everybody this? <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that thought process happens and it's not just how we would think of it to happen, which is men don't want to wear the condom because, you know, speaking, you know, heterosexual intersex sex happening here, um, it's it can go either way and it's like a not sexy thing it's not a sexy conversation but that's what this whole platform of something positive for positive people is about which is the communication component of sex and sexual health is part of that as well as our mental health as well as um our ability to just relate with one another as human beings i know that you know we are getting away from wanting to use labels and we're more so describing the acts if you will but who we are and you know who we are how we interact with people these are all very important things that encompass our sexual health so I I very much appreciate you coming on here and having this conversation. I thank you for your work. I thank you for um, your contribution here. And I look forward to working with you and starting our uh, going on and being able to offer something positive for positive people, podcast listeners and nonprofit 
contributors, I don't know what to call them, but podcast listeners for sure, um, the opportunity to purchase your testing, uh, inquire on and uh, purchase ED medication as well for reasons beyond, oh, I'm I'm 50 or, oh, my man's having trouble, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was blown away when I first saw your website. I didn't know that your organization existed, but um, I, I know a lot of people who have contracted HSV, either one or two, and I know the the mental impact that it can have. I don't know it firsthand, but I know the mental impact it can have on other people, certainly. Um, I've actually seen people get STI tested. That antibody test comes back for HSV-1, which they may have had since their grandmother kissed him when they were six months old. Who knows? And it just freaks them out, and they they quit the lifestyle. This lifestyle, in case your listeners aren't know, is a term that people often use for swinging. Um, and it, it, you know, it's just the, the, it's almost like a uh, I don't know, a nuclear bomb went off in their world when people get that diagnosis, and and you live that every day talking to people and um and that's always seemed like such a shame to me and i, and I appreciate the work that it's it's normal that that happens but um well i'd love to live in a world where people get treatment to help control their outbreaks control their comfort things like that but the mental aspect of it is a is the minor part of it rather than the, than the major part of it which it often seems to be so your work is absolutely amazing and, and i appreciate you very much Thank you. Um, I want to shout out Jenny who made the website because before before you found it, it looked like a newspaper. <laughs> it, I made it and I was managing it. It was so easy to just do what I needed to do. But uh, Jenny came through and cleaned up. So shout out to you, Jenny, if you you ain't listening to this, but shout out to Jenny. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying, you know, uh, expressing, you know, just like your appreciation for this resource because, you know, sexual health is mental health. And I often say that so much of our identities is wrapped up in our sexuality to where when we get this diagnosis, you know, it shatters our sense of self. We don't know who we are anymore. So I, I hear from people who quit sex, who quit their way of doing things, who think they can't be non-monogamous, who think they have to wear a condom and a hazmat suit every time they have sex moving forward. And that just really isn't the case. So the purpose of this platform is to show people other people who are living in a way that directly conflicts with what someone newly diagnosed may believe about themselves and others who are living with this virus. So, um, yeah, here's just one more resource here. Um, I'll let you go ahead and plug the website. And I guess whenever we get the affiliate link, we can link that in the show notes uh, and or promo code or whatever. So just tell everyone how they can find uh, your services. Well, let's let's sandwich this by you telling them your coupon code, and you right now live on the air get to get to think of what that should be and say it. And I'll oh, make it for you. That is absolutely SPFPP. So the acronym of something positive for positive people. So I don't know because I've seen it two ways, like the URL dot com slash SPFPP, or would it be enter promo code SPFPP at checkout? Yeah, well, you're going to have a link that you can post. And so if people just want to go to your website and click that link, um, that's great. But anybody just listening to your podcast will just be able to go to shamelesscare.com. Whenever they go to check out, they'll enter in your coupon code. And that'll get them $30 off an STI testing package or $30 off 
their first quarter of ED medication. Um, and then your nonprofit will get credit for that sale. And some people are hesitant to talk about that, but I come from the nonprofit world originally, and I know that uh, it requires money to do the work that you do. So I do hope that people support Shameless and do it through your link or through your coupon code, and that'll put money right into your nonprofit organization. You keep doing the work that you're doing, uh, because at the end of the day, I think we're both just trying to help people and, and keep our keep our lights on, so to speak, so that we can keep on doing what we're doing. Yeah, this might be this might be the 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 crossing point of which I get to start paying myself. I mean, yeah, y'all get on here because uh, by the time this is up, the link should be live. So, yeah, the link will be live. I'm tripping. So, yeah, I'm talking like right now, but we're. <laughs> <laughs> this link is live <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, check it out. It'll be here in the show notes and on the website as well. Um, yeah, that, that yeah, use code SPFPP and you're going to be supporting something positive as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you.